0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. the bits of the interviews we've featured in the monthly podcasts that are just too good to waste. This week, Peter Gordon, New Zealand chef and one of last year's judges at the Delicious Produce Awards, reminds us why we need to celebrate British food and how it got to be so
1: good. The reason the Produce Awards are so important is it's encouraging people to, I think, for the consumer to see what's available, that people are doing in Britain. And also it's sort of setting a benchmark so we can... um, i guess uh, encourage better quality better produce
0: you've been in london a long time now uh since the late 80s Mm.
1: yeah i've been here since i've been in london since 1989 so 27 years and i have to say when i first arrived as a young new zealander it was uh i I was surprised that to me it seemed that there wasn't a lot of quality stuff here of course there was there was you know amazing things and fortnum and masons and various markets but i think the overall the quality of produce in britain has grown enormously the cheeses that are produced here used to used to be amazing and then i think there was a period of they just became a commodity and i'd say now cheeses you know there you go to the british cheese awards it's phenomenal you know um the various things like the rapeseed oil that's being produced the breads there's been an explosion in coffee all sorts of stuff so yeah people expect quality
0: can you explain how that happened? How do we get to now? From 1989, where there was really not very good produce, it was much more for the elite, let's say, for real foodies. Now, food seems to be much more available. Good food seems to be much more available. What do you think it's down to? How do we get here?
1: I'd say that the British tourist uh, is a great traveller. So they go everywhere and they kind of see a quality of food that appears in other parts of the world. And I say this because this was the same with New Zealanders as well. And uh, so people go travelling, their expectations are uh, increased, I think. People really want to um, have good... Food and wine and, and produce all over the place, and I think we just the the sort of younger generation have come through looking at some of the stuff that you find on the continent uh, that they want to reproduce here, and people are just more discerning. You know, there's been a rise in food television, which is you know drives some of us insane, but it's also quite good, and it, it allows the uh, consumer to be more knowledgeable. Uh, there are a huge amount of restaurants opening all the time, so the quality of food that people come to expect expect. Is great, and then there are loads of food festivals all around the country. I was down on uh, the Dor- Dorset Seafood Festival recently, and it was fantastic, you know, seeing the produce there, the quality of the produce, meeting some of the producers, the fishermen. The Lime Bay Marine Conservation Group, and they are all about sustainable fishing, and and I, th- I suppose looking at it, the food should be a quality product, affordable for all, uh, and if we stop commodifying it, then it becomes something a bit tastier.
0: And actually, stop fetishising it, perhaps. Looking around here at your lovely restaurant, it seems very accessible, very kind of bistro, rather than posh dining. How did that happen? Was there a kind of a conscious moment where you thought, actually, you know what, I'm going to let the people in?
1: I'd also say that the, one of the big changes is that the British are proud of their food in the restaurants. And people like Fergus Henderson led the charge, in a way, um, with St John Restaurant. And making things very simple, very local, very sustainable. And that is what you see in a lot of restaurants. But we've also had a lot of our chefs go travelling around the world. And they've worked in Italy and they've worked in Spain. And, and they've come back and they they just kind of want things that are more affordable, I think. Because I, I mean, I quite like a nice restaurant where you have to put on a shirt and jacket maybe. Um, but the sort of food I love to eat and I think the sort of food the general public likes to eat is, is more accessible, less expensive, less fussy you don't need to make a big palaver about it it's not like you're going to worship in the temple of food you're going to actually have a nice time with your mates spend some money, choose a wine or a beer or something that's affordable and, uh, and then you'll have great nights out when you want to really be flash
0: Is it a London thing or is this actually spreading across the whole country now?
1: i 'd say that all around Britain you go now there are amazing pubs and, and things you know pubs in the old days when I first came here it used to be ploughman 's lunch that i don 't even think is actually a real thing, but you know you get cheese and pickles and a pint of bitter or something and, and that was ploughman 's lunch now you go to a country pubs and they might have you know some gorgeous game and season lovely pies, beautiful food you know it can be different food all around the country and a lot of the young chefs who were training in london they want to go back and open restaurants in leeds or manchester or you know wherever and they you know because they can't afford to do it in london so they go back they increase the level of food
0: <laughs> it's, it's interesting isn't it because you the, what you must have seen at the sugar club down in notting hill was really the birth of british cuisine i mean so there was roly lee there was 192 there was you you know there was a real kind of thing going on down in in notting hill did, what did you spot? Was it because it was like a, a, a collision of, of a perfect storm or was there somebody leading the way? What was going on?
1: Do you mean in Notting Hill or yeah, just in... just
0: particularly at Notting Hill. Was it Alistair Little or was it... Because Rose Gray was yeah. working for Alistair Little at that time. Yeah. You know, what, what, for, as, as an observer or somebody who's really part of it, exactly in that place at that time, what was going on for you?
1: Mm, well, my first introduction in Notting Hill was a uh, first-floor restaurant on the corner of Portobello Road, and I worked there with Margot, who's, uh, Margot Henderson, who's Fergus's wife, and um, she wasn't in those days. And, and Notting Hill at the time was the foodie sort of destination, really, in London. I remember Kentington Place was open just down on, just around, Sally Clark was just down there, and it seemed to be the centre of attention for food, Uh which was good. I mean, weirdly, I hadn't been to Notting Hill probably for seven or eight years now. but um, And the food scene has sort of changed. But I live over in Hackney and there's a whole lot of food stuff going out there. But the I think it was just a, a place, a centre of attention. It wasn't in the West End. People were doing food that wasn't just British or French. Um, there was also the gate, the vegetarian one around there. And... Uh,
0: I mean, I think you're right, actually. I think what was happening around that time was those guys were all coming back from travelling. Rose Grey was coming back from... She'd, you know, been out with Alice Waters in, in France, you know, and, and then America. And, um, you know, there was a lot of sort of people coming home at, at a certain age, and they were wanting to, to bring that food back. It was post-Elizabeth David. It was more... Coming back from the French markets, and then also San Francisco had started yeah. with the us waters and the kind of farmers' markets and all that sort of stuff. So there was just seemed like it was a kind of a a, a real um, scene. But I think the Australians and New Zealanders had the biggest influence. I think that you just kind of did what you did with MasterChef. You know, we created MasterChef and sold it to Australia. Australia took it, just went wham with it. You know, I think that that's what you guys do.
1: I mean. For me personally, the reason I cook the food I do is I did an apprenticeship in Melbourne, and all I learned at school was how to um, how to do French and sort of English and German food. And I went through school with John to Road, Mr. Master Chef, and um, and I used to battle with it because I would go and eat in all these lovely little ethnic restaurants on the on my nights off, and I'd have Japanese food or Moroccan food or you know Northern Italian or something, and. But we w- we weren't taught any of that at college. And for me, it was crazy. There's this wor- wor, you know, amazing world of food and ingredients out there. And I'm drawn to ingredients rather than cuisines, to be honest. So a lot of young New Zealanders and Australians were like myself. They might have had a very formal training, but actually they had access to ingredients that in New Zealand and Australia were probably easier to get hold of than here in Britain. And in Britain, it seemed that um, everyone was would sort of bow down to the French kitchen, which never grabbed me. It just wasn't my thing. And I'd spent a year in Asia hitchhiking around and I just I just you know, I was far more excited about some air dried squid that was dipped in chili sugar syrup and barbecued served with sticky rice than than a buttery sauce served on poached meat. You know, this it wasn't my thing. So I think the New Zealanders and Aussies primarily not all of them, but came from backgrounds or from families that didn't have huge foodie heritage. Um, we were migrants ourselves. My parents and um, you know Scottish and Maori, and and so we didn't. I didn't come from a really rich culinary background. So for me to go and, and just do whatever I wanted to was very easy because no one was telling me I couldn't. Except at college, and college was controlled by French, English, and German tutors
0: and that was a wonderful blank canvas for, I think Christine Manfield also said that, um, that her mother was, uh, in the 50s, was, you know, a good cook, but she was sort of, you know, an English kind of cook. And it wasn't very exciting, and Christine kind of, you know, thought, right, I'm going to go and find my life, because it was so boring at home. So, but, but the lovely thing that was happening in Australia was that all the Italians and the Greeks and the Vietnamese were coming in in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and Australia must have been filled, well, I suppose it's a same with with New Zealand as well, where people you know are coming from all over the place and filling the air. I mean, mm. homes I'm talking about, you know, yeah. filling you know Sunday lunch spit roast lamb. The smells of the suburbs must have been extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and which in itself, you know, compare it with Sunday lunch here. You know, when you just were talking about going around Asia, you know, I'm salivating. You yeah. know,
1: yeah.
0: and that creates good food. And I think that what we were trying to do in even Notting Hill was create food that looked good, that attracted Madonna and all the celebs and all that kind of stuff. So we like to look good. But something shifted. What was it? Any idea what got us from wanting to look good, being seen to eat, to actually really loving it?
1: I think it, I think it's all down to the quality of the produce. You know, uh, I mean, it's down to getting fish that's really fresh, because London was notorious for not having great fish, you know, getting meat, that, you know, Beautifully red meat animals, sort of doing stuff. The vegetables, the amount of you know variety of vegetables that are now grown in Britain, whether it be chilies and cavalo and other things that just didn't exist, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So I think it's the if the produce is good and you've got a, a sort of a um, an environment where you can encourage creativity and invention, and that's the sort of you know whether that's the creativity of um, Heston Blumenthal or that's the simplicity of uh, Fergus Henderson or, you know, someone like the chap at Lyles, you know, who's doing little funky things, you know. I think the, 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 yeah, the creativity is important, and Britain's always been creative in its fashion and its music and its art, but food was the sort of last bastion of you have to do what's traditional, you can't bend the rules. And actually what happened was during, during those, that period in the late 80s, Uh, Everyone was breaking the rules. You know, you had an American and an English woman running. You know, one of the best Italian restaurants in England. You know, the River Cafe. You've got Alice Little doing his lovely Italian, sort of European stuff, but lightened up and and I don't know. So I just remember having some beautiful figs and parma ham at Alice Little's and just thinking, oh, this is heaven. But but I hadn't had it that good before.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting actually. Marco, I think, is a really good bridge. Um, to it um, because he was doing all that fancy stuff down at Harvey's but he was a gastropunk he was he was the rock and roll he kind of had the swagger and and I think that that really excited a lot of young chefs
1: you know all that aggression in the kitchen that came with that sort of territory, didn't it? And that's something I've never understood and can't believe still exists.
0: But I think what you said about the art and the fashion, I think it's bang on, and music. Um, You know, we've always had that ability to lead the world in terms of style. But it's been really embedded and real, which is why it's been really authentic and and, and caught the attention of the world. Do you think that we're there yet with food?
1: I think I yeah I do I think everything is now available when I first when I first moved here in 1989 what was missing to me was the mi- middle of the road casual not expensive things you know at the time you had wonderfully hugely expensive old-fashioned restaurants and you had really bad chains and there doesn't seem to be the middle stuff so um it now exists and that can be sort of the various wine bars and stuff where it's not just about the wine, it's about the food. It can be cafes like us here that open sort of breakfast, lunch and dinner seven days a week. You can be you can still go out and spend, you know, many hundreds of pounds at a posh restaurant if you want to, but you don't have to. And it's more egalitarian, it's more affordable, there's the variety there. There's also all the food trucks um, that are around. There's so many pop ups, I think, you know, I can remember hearing pop-up as a term the first time and you think, wow, there's, there's been bazillions of pop-ups since. And they're fantastic because they allow young, often young, um, young people the opportunity to get their food out in front of an audience at, at a very low cost and then they can decide if it's actually going to be worth you know doing that. I think that it's been terrific. I just think there's more food. There's just more of everything. There's more you know, when we think of Italian food we no longer think of Italian food because is it Northern Italian you know is it a Giorgio Locatelli Italian food is it a River Cafe Italian is it Franco Mazzai, you know sort of thing so I think there's so much of everything and there's so much variety that if you previously felt you didn't like a restaurant well maybe you didn't like the stuffy restaurant whereas now you can go to something far more laid back maybe you think restaurants without tablecloths are a bit Low rent, or something, or you can find plenty of restaurants with tablecloths, you can find wine lists and cocktails. I, I, the variety and choice is enormous, actually. I mean, it's just so much of everything, and I'd say, yeah, so democratization is definitely what's happened because. There is something for everyone. It's no longer the elite, really. Yeah.
0: And can chefs earn good money now? Because one of that was one of the problems in the old days, wasn't it? You know, you'd get young kids going into the kitchen, and they'd be working what 12, 15 fifteen-hour days, and, and it didn't get paid.
1: Well, the, I think the thing that the industry still needs to face up to, and there are certain restaurants like ourselves and Morrow and the River Caff, where chefs, if you work. 40 hours you paid 40 for work, 60 hours you paid 60. But there are a lot of restaurants where um, uh, chefs paid a 40-hour week, but they're probably doing 70, 80, 90 hours a week. And it's something the industry doesn't want to tackle because they feel that the owners of the businesses will not make enough money. And, well, we've paid everyone properly since we started 15 years ago, and we're doing fine, and the restaurant's doing fine, and the staff are very happy. Um, So, Yeah. The, the other thing that's happened is we've always, um, when we take the trunk here, the owners, the business doesn't get it. It's, it's split between the staff, but we've always taken a chunk for the chefs, so the chefs actually also benefit from a really busy period, and that helps with wages as well. So um, we run a bonus system with our tips. You know, every week we select one or two or two um, people who get a bonus from the trunk, and everyone gets to know who that is. So... Things are better, but things could be a lot better for a lot more people. But I think there's a lot of greed uh, sometimes within the industry. You know, you see the owners, of the restaurants, very wealthy, and you see all these poor buggers who are so tired and exhausted and not being fed. And you know,
0: and, and, and possibly that is to do with the whole TV chef thing. Um, you know, food. If you've got a restaurant, you're kind of you're super super rich, um, and you know, maybe it doesn't translate to the chefs.
1: I, no, I think it's more about greed. I think it. I think it's. I don't know. I think those sort of business folk would probably be the same whether they had a shoe shop or a a, um, a big sort of clothing empire or something. You know, they just want to pocket the money themselves.